Hello, cooperators. Welcome to Commons Place, your source for news, analysis, and voices from the cooperative economy in the United States. There are 30,000 cooperatives in this country, and we're here to tell you about them. It's what the capitalists don't want you to know. I'm Liz Anderson with the United States Federation of Worker Cooperatives. I'm Ana Martina from the United States Federation of Worker Cooperatives. And I'm Dave Backer, professor of education at Westchester University. Hey everyone, this episode, this month, is called Needs, and after the news update that we usually have, we've got three parts. The first part is called the Chokwe Lumumba Mixtape, because we need to listen to good politicians these days. The second part is an interview with the Energy Co-op in Philadelphia, because we definitely need electricity and clean energy to run our lives. And finally, we've got a group interview with folks in California battling a law that's making the lives of cooperatives there very, very difficult, and we need to do something about that and quick. So let's get right to it. Here's Shelley Ronan with our monthly news update. This is the Commons Place News Report. I'm Shelley Ronan. The New York City network of worker cooperatives has issued a new report detailing the results of the first two years of the New York City Worker Co-op Initiative. The New York City Initiative was first launched during the 2015 fiscal year and has so far distributed a total of $3.3 million. Besides directly helping to start worker cooperatives, this money has been used to provide educational resources and assistance to existing cooperatives. In fiscal year 2016 alone, the initiative supported the start of 27 new worker co-ops and services were provided to a total of 114 worker co-ops in the same year. Meanwhile in Kentucky, regulators have ordered an electric co-op to eliminate nepotistic practices. The co-op in question, Cumberland Valley Incorporated, is a member-owned cooperative with 23,600 customers. The electric co-op has routinely made exceptions to its own anti-nepotism rules, with four employees being related to the CEO. Regulators assert that this creates a conflict of interest, especially in deciding compensation and benefits. On the international scene, the Cooperative Party in the UK has published a collection of essays on how to build an economy for all in post-Brexit Great Britain. The General Secretary for the Cooperative Party, Claire McCarthy, says that she sees co-op values as essential for creating a new consensus in a contentious political environment. She added that, quote, The good news is that we don't have to imagine an alternative. It's already out there, unquote. Moving on to another hot-button issue, two analysts have proposed a cooperative buying method for college tuition. Tuition cooperatives, in their model, would be used to pool students' savings and aid, which would then go towards enrolling the students in bulk at discounted rates. Such a buying strategy would not be effective for elite universities that already have exceptionally high demand. However, Audrey Peake, one of the analysts proposing the plan, says that it could be applied to career-focused or for-profit schools. In the agricultural sector, 
Two major Midwestern dairy co-ops are set to merge at the end of March. Prairie Farms Dairy is one of the largest and most successful dairy co-ops in the Midwest with 5,700 employees. Prairie Farms Dairy will be merging with Swiss Valley to achieve a more well-rounded product line. And in activist news, 80% of Linden Hills co-op workers have voted to join Local 653 of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union in Minneapolis. This vote for unionization comes on the heels of votes to unionize in two other Minneapolis co-ops. Employees of the Linden Hills co-op stated that they believed unionization would increase their capacity to achieve progress on shared goals and values. For hourly updates on the cooperative economy in the United States, follow us on Twitter at commons underscore place and check for updates on commonsplace.org. Energy. It's all around us. It's within us. It keeps living organisms living. It keeps the world turning. We have all heard in physics class that it can't be created or destroyed, because it just is. The word energy is derived from the Greek word energia, which in the time of Aristotle was a qualitative philosophical concept that described feelings of happiness and pleasure. Today, energy is what wakes us up in the morning, a cup of coffee, a beam of sunlight shining through our window, a greeting from our neighbor, the muscles that pedal our bikes, the heat that keeps our homes warm, the fire that cooks our food, and the gas or electricity that move our cars. Energy is movement. Energy is work. Does anyone want to speak to what energy means to them? <laughs> That's a very broad question. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a good question. And I'm trying to think of a way to answer it that is not exceptionally abstract. <laughs> it can be abstract. Yeah. Hi, I'm going to the I'm heading into the office of the Energy Co-op in Philadelphia to meet the folks that keep renewable energy flowing throughout the city and to learn about their work. Hey, Meredith. Nice, nice to meet you. Hey, Dan. Yeah, Good to meet you. I'm Matt. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi, yeah. And, I mean, Divya, I don't know if she's on, oh, she's on the phone. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, hi. we're just finishing up a really... Hi, nice to meet you. Oh, hi. Nice to meet you. Are you having a meeting? Uh, yeah, so do you want some water or coffee or anything? 
I just chilled for a few minutes while they were finishing up a meeting, and then we got started talking about the co-op and their history. To give you some history, we started in the late 70s as a heating oil cooperative. It, it was several members of Weaver's Way Co-op that were consumers of heating oil, and they joined together to, to start a group buying program, and, and that has existed to this day, which is what I manage. Uh, but we, we diversified into a few different areas. We also are a renewable electricity supplier, which is the program that Matt manages. And we also were a distributor of biodiesel to commercial fleets, but that program was wound down recently. So right now it's, it's electricity, a new product, which is renewable natural gas, and a heating oil cooperative fuel buying program. I was confused about how energy sources got to homes in Philly, so I asked a clarifying question. Do like homeowners pick their own energy sources? Is that like a normal thing? I feel like that hasn't, is that normal in other cities? <laughs> so so with, with heating oil, heating oil, like the analogy could be like getting water or like milk or anything else delivered to your house. Like there, I think pretty much everywhere, it's, it's a, about a truck pulling up to your house and filling up a tank. And there it's, it's about choice. Um, in terms of electricity and, and natural gas, um, Pennsylvania um, is what's called the deregulated electricity market. And so basically they've separated the kind of delivering the electricity to your house, so the, the pipes, so to speak, the electricity lines and, and all that other stuff, from the actual generation and like the electrons that produce the electricity, financially speaking. Um, and so... Pico, who is kind of in the Philadelphia area, the, the default service provider, so the person when you first move into a place like you're going to be going with, um, they will always be kind of responsible for delivering the electricity to your house, but you have a choice of who your electricity provider is. And so that's where kind of the co-op comes in, is that we provide an alternative to Pico um, in terms of structure as a co-op, but also source and the fact that we're sourcing 100% renewable electricity for our members. Wow, that seems kind of horrible. The last thing U.S. citizens need is more choices, at least in the free market sense, because doesn't that just screw over people who are too busy working to feed their families that they just don't have time to figure out where they should be getting their electricity from so that they can turn their lights on to see what they're cooking? Gosh, and you have to navigate this market with the competition and all these different, like advertisements and you're like I don't know which is what because I don't actually know what that product is that I'm looking for <sighs> everything is so confusing when you have too many choices like think about health insurance anyways what is renewable energy so I mean I think different people have different definitions for renewable electricity um, you know as far as we're concerned the co-op and I'm personally concerned I think it's it's, it's sources of electricity that um, are legitimately renewable. So the sun will keep shining, the wind will keep blowing. Um, in some cases, water will keep flowing. That was so poetic. I love that. And, and opposed to kind of other things that are branded as renewable um, that, that may not be. Um, so, you know, I think it's really about things that aren't fossil fuels and things that didn't take a long time to produce and kind of, you know, aren't being supplied to us daily. Um, I think the, the big distinction, too, is 
and, and, and I think the co-op is unique in some ways in getting to this is that like a lot of people think renewable electricity is the same as sustainable electricity and that isn't necessarily true in my opinion in the sense that um, you know there you can a, a wind turbine um, is, 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 is renewable in terms of kind of the environment and the wind but depending on who's buying the electricity from the wind turbine who, you know, where that wind turbine is sited, the impact that that wind turbine has on people, et cetera, et cetera, it might actually be sustainable in kind of a perspective of sustainability more than just kind of environmental sustainability, economic sustainability, et cetera. And so I think that's where, you know, you can go out and find other people that are providing renewable electricity like some of our competitors, but because of our cooperative model um, and kind of the, the, the greater sustainability of economic, uh, cooperative economic models, um, I would argue that our electricity that we provide is, is more sustainable um, than renewable electricity that you could buy from other um, companies that are not cooperative in, in model and are often owned by large companies who may have holdings in fossil fuel interests or we're very transparent with our pricing and people can switch and we have no hidden fees and a lot of our competitors kind of don't orient things that way. Aha, there we go. I think you can trust this source. Uh, you know, to be honest, this, this, with, with regard to electricity, this is the most competitive market in the entire country. You have an absurd number of options. However, this is the only one that, that the, the energy consumers are the owners of the organization. You actually have a say in, in, in the laws that, that govern how we operate. I will also say, and maybe this answers your, your earlier question about what energy uh, means to me, but um, energy is something that's, that's very easy to take for granted, right? Uh, especially with regard to pricing, you always assume it's, it's going to be there and it's going to be, you know, you're maybe not going to assume it's going to be affordable, but it's not going to change too drastically. Uh, so with us, the other thing that you're getting is, is transparency. Uh, if you are a heating oil customer, you know what the wholesale price of oil is and what the margin is that we, we tack onto that. So you you can see that if the wholesale price drops, so does your price. There's not there's not any padding of the margin. So these are these are things that you get with the sort of organization that you're not really going to get anywhere else in the, the retail energy market. The actual office part of the energy co-op, where I am now, does not necessarily run cooperatively, though they are such a small team that they feel heard and respected in their workplace. They also have really good snacks. The co-op part is a consumer cooperative, which was already stated earlier in this episode. There is a meeting that happens every year. It's the annual membership meeting, yeah. and that's when votes on proposed bylaw changes or changes to the board would occur. And our bylaws allow for that to be done in a number of ways. So you can vote at the meeting or you can vote by proxy, which can be done through mail or online. But that would be the only time that a vote takes place. However, as far as other meetings go, and I'll also say that that's when the, the annual business meeting takes place. Our, our bylaws say that we have to have that, so we do. As far as other meetings go, we'll have a few community engagement events throughout the year, which are, are typically open to members and prospective members. One of the things that I think differentiates us from our competitors is our customer service or our member service um, in terms of the fact that like you call you call us and you get a real person and you get a person who you know isn't reading off of a script and isn't kind of trained to finish the call in so many minutes. Can I sign up?
today. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to sign up right then and there. I, you know, just do it. Just sign up. Do it now. Penn, he was there. He helped me. This is our website, um, kind of like my view of the website. Um, and essentially how it works is just, I'm already logged in, so um, you, would, you would say join us now on this corner. Uh -huh. uh, maybe I can kind of... So essentially, um, you, you click join us now, and it's going to ask you for your zip code. Yep. Um, so I'll just do mine, I guess. And it brings up the options that you have for electricity, heating oil, and natural gas. Um, so I signed up, and that was a little snippet of what that sounded like. I also forgot to mention that their walls are bright green and orange and blue, the color of their logo. It's, it's a really warm place. I did have a final question for them, and that was, how, why can't the energy co-op be the default for the city of Philadelphia? How would that work? Could it work? There's other providers, so first, the first question would be, why would the city or why would Pennsylvania, why would PICO choose the energy co-op over kind of anybody else? Mm -hmm. um, and and they're, they're, I don't think I have a good answer to that, um, despite, you know, as, as co-op enthusiasts or renewable energy, electricity um, supporters, you know, there, there isn't a straightforward reason that PICO would want to do that. Um, and then PICO also has, you know, their own, like they make money off of selling electricity to people. Um, and they do, I mean, the reality is, is that our renewable electricity is a premium product. Like it still costs more money, um, you know, to purchase renewable electricity versus regular non-renewable electricity. And so, I mean, I think it's not necessarily accessible to everyone, um, unfortunately. Like we try to provide, keep our prices low and our profits aren't going to shareholders. They're used to support the organization and try to help us keep our margins low on our products. Um, but but it, you know, for other people too, it would come at a greater cost. So I don't think you know, it'd be easy for Pico to just choose us. And even if, there, if it did, um, it may not be what's best for everyone, um, you know, that kind of, it, 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 it's eliminating choice for people, which can be a good thing at times. It's eliminating choice. That part is brilliant. I used to be a vegetarian, and I always told everyone the reason was because then it was easier to choose what to eat at restaurants. I know, I know, sort of shallow, but true. It's still confusing, though. Do we choose the product that is better for the environment and run in an economically sustainable way but cost more money? Or do we just get the cheaper product because it's more affordable and that's just all we can literally do at this moment? We all have different needs and different things to worry about, but ideally, one day, we could all move toward the co-op model for getting our energy needs. If more people buy in, it may make it more affordable. Maybe even some of the other sides of our, of our businesses that while we keep the prices as low as possible, you know, as a small business, there are economies of scale. And there is a potential if we, you know, build a movement in this area of enough people joining our co-op and kind of investing in cooperative renewable electricity that we could undercut the competition and through kind of, you know, a different, a different way of doing things, offer rates that are lower than our competitors, um, you know, across the board and also, you know, supportive of something that's more local, more democratic and more just. The thing for us is creating communities um, and growth. So I think, you know, it's, it is in a really good place right now. 
But one of the things I have noticed and seen in Philly is, you know, people who are from here stay here, um, love it, are really engaged in the city and really engaged with the community as a whole. And I want to be able to take advantage of that and creating a, a community around, you know, sustainability, around the co-op, around kind of our mission and the values of what we do. Um, particularly around thinking around that cooperative mission, right? So we are member-owned. You know, our members can come in. They have really great ideas. So, for example, we actually are the only people that offer 100% Pennsylvania-based product, um, and that's our direct result of members really engaging us and asking us and saying, is this possible? Is this feasible? And you can't do that with a traditional utility company, right? You can't come in and show up at a meeting and say, hey, you know, is this something we can investigate? And so for me, where I want to take the energy co-op is just to take that community and engage it in different ways outside of just supplying electricity and creating opportunities for people to come together and support southeastern Pennsylvania. To learn more about the energy co-op and to join, please go to theenergy.coop online. This is Meredith Dejanski, the Commons Place Philadelphia correspondent. Thanks for listening. With, with any organization that's mission-driven, you're not going to leave every day feeling like you changed the world, but when you leave, you at least feel like you didn't make it a worse place. <laughs> so <laughs> that in and of itself is, is yeah, satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in this day and age. Right. That sounds beautiful. <laughs> <laughs>Cooperative Coalition in California that is working to change the bill. What's the number again? Oh. 8883. Yeah, that's right. Amazing. Okay, would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Sure. Um, I'm Charlotte and Charlotte Sweet, and I am a Cooperatives Development Attorney with Sustainable Economies Law Center. And I'm Janelle Orsi, and I also am a cooperative development attorney, and I'm also the co-founder of the organization, which is about seven years old. Hi, I'm uh, Elizabeth Barton. I am one of the founding members of Echo Adventure Cooperative. Awesome. So last episode, we talked a little bit about the law being changed, but it's mostly about workers' compensation. Um, can you all talk about how this law has came into your life? Um, and your cooperative. You know, this is a law that really caught us off guard, and I never heard of this law until a worker cooperative that's one of our clients said that their insurance company told them that they now need to buy workers' compensation insurance. And so for a long time, the law in California allowed worker cooperatives, where all members were on the board of directors, uh, to waive workers' compensation insurance. And so that was saving worker co-ops a lot of money, and they were generally investing that money in health insurance and disability insurance. And suddenly the law changed. I, I, I don't know if I should bore everyone with the very minute details of it, but um, we've had to take quick action to help cooperatives weather this change and also to get organized to change the law 
back to how we like it. Wow, so some people didn't even find out until they were informed that they just had to buy it. What happened with this law is it began, it got introduced in, I would say, February of last year in the California legislature, but the law originally was on a very different topic. It's still related to workers' compensation, but it was something completely different. And right near the end of the legislative period, they basically gutted the bill and created this new bill uh, using the old shell of the original legislation and then just snuck it through the legislature, had the governor sign it, and we didn't find out until November. But normally we would have a lot more um, heads up about a law that would have this much impact. For example, we know one cooperative in the Bay Area that says that this law is going to cost their their business $200,000 next year, or this year. Now, in order to, to opt out of workers' compensation insurance, even in LLCs and partnerships, uh, you have to file a, a waiver with your insurance company. Uh, but for a lot of these small cooperatives, they never had an insurance company to begin with because they might be, say, five members of an LLC who never purchased workers' comp. And so now they can't even figure out where to file this waiver, and so their hands are a little bit tied. And so that's just a a huge oversight on the part of the legislature that we're trying to clean up. Um, and so really, it's not just the cooperative community that's, that's being effective, affected, it's businesses of many varieties. What are some of the takes uh, you are taking as a coalition to to change these this law? Well, so, uh, and this is Charlotte jumping in here. One of uh, our main goals right now um, here at Sustainable Economies Law Center is to mobilized a cooperative community and so that's where the coalition came into into place and uh, we put out a call for other cooperative members to uh, to let us know if they'd be interested in taking part in a campaign working group and so we currently have a group of about nine different cooperatives uh, uh, and our, the steps we've taken so far is to just get on the same page as to um, how this new legislation has affected the different members in our group and understanding and agreeing on what we want to do next. So coming up with the solutions that we want to ask for when we talk to legislators. And then really the most important next step for us is to do outreach so that other cooperatives that are not already in this conversation first know about it, know about this law so that they can take steps to protect themselves right now. And then secondly, get involved in the campaign so that um, they have the opportunity to have their voices heard um, once we start uh, speaking to the uh, legislature. So if you could say a few words to the cooperatives in California that have not already heard about this campaign, what would those be? We actually just wrote a blog post and we finished it today. We haven't posted it, but I think if, if people go to the selk.org, T-H-E-S-E-L-C.org, uh, we'll We'll have a blog post up there soon about this. And then um, also cooplaw.org, uh, which is co-op with a dash, cooplaw.org. 
Uh, we'll be posting about that. But I think every cooperative needs to know about this law no matter how they're structured. And one thing I failed to mention earlier is that if you're a cooperative corporation in California and you have six or fewer members, you can still waive workers' compensation. It's the ones that have seven or more that can no longer waive workers' compensation. But regardless, every kind of cooperative has to file this waiver. So uh, basically every cooperative in California needs to know about this. And we, our blog basically explains the law, explains how cooperatives should respond, explains how we're trying to change the law, and so on. to the huge co-op sector that happens to be in California, um, do you think it'll be easy to mobilize? Yeah, I, I think that that's what the campaign working group is for. Um, so Charlotte, jumping back in, uh, our hope really is that this is something that will start from the ground up and that there will be a grassroots effort um, from the co-op uh, community itself. Uh, How has it been working with nine other cooperatives um, like in a in a project that kind of reaches outside of your cooperative bubble, so to speak. That's a great question. Uh, it's been wonderful, absolutely incredible. Um, so we're sort of out here in the middle of nowhere. We're based out of Yosemite, uh, so I don't have outside of the internet a lot of access to other cooperatives, uh, especially you know other founders, people who are really really passionate about this business model. So it's been really wonderful to sit in a room. Uh, meet these people, um, talk about all the benefits and, you know, places we can go uh, with our individual cooperatives and the movement as a whole. So it's, it's been really empowering, really wonderful. And I have to say, and this is Janelle, that this is something unique that we're doing that we haven't done this way before because we've worked on a lot of policy issues at Sustainable Economies Law Center, including uh, worker cooperative re related policies. But we usually bring together groups that I would describe as the usual suspects, which are leaders from cooperative development organizations like the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, Democracy Work Institute, California Center for Cooperative Development. We usually bring together representatives from those organizations when we do policy advocacy. And so this is actually quite different where the policy working group is almost entirely comprised of worker owners of cooperatives. And these are uh, coincidentally all women. Uh, and these are people who do rainwater catchment ins installations, they make pies, they make pizzas, um, they make other kinds of food, and most of them, or I would say all of them, told us when they got involved that they've never done any policy advocacy work before, for the most part. I think a couple people had. And so this for us is really bringing our work to the next level. Uh, because, as Charlotte was saying, we really want everybody to start seeing themselves as policymakers and empowered to make changes. And if, if the cooperative community is going to be attacked or if the cooperative community is going to be systematically ignored, which is what the legislature did here, then there needs to be a group of worker owners that's ready to step up and make a change when change is needed. So that's I'm really happy that this group has come together. And I've also never met these people before, so it's not the usual suspects at all. That sounds really powerful, but all of these people felt empowered to try something new and do policy work for the first time. 
that's an amazing community. Yeah, we were so pleased because we actually just put an email out to the co-op community and said, we don't, you don't need to have any experience. We'll try to provide as much training throughout the process. And Sustainable Economies Law Center is trying to be kind of an advisor, a convener, a facilitator, but really put a lot of the work in the hands of the worker owners. And uh, so we were just so glad that people wanted to do this. And uh, yeah, it's a great sign. A lot of the voices we hear on the news now are pretty scary. It's a pretty scary time. If I'm being honest, voices in politics have been scary for a long time, actually. But there are inspiring voices out there. And in scary times, it's really important to listen to those carefully. Chukle Wamumba was one such voice I think we should listen to. He was a lawyer and a leader in the radical black politics movement in Mississippi uh, from the 1960s all the way through the 21st century. Lumumba actually transitioned from grassroots organizing to electoral politics with surprising success in 2009. He was once the vice president of the Republic of New Africa, and the goal of that movement was to establish an autonomous African-American government in the American South. But in 2009, Lumumba ran and was elected to city council in Jackson, Mississippi, and then he successfully ran for mayor in 2013. Cooperativism and large-scale worker ownership was a key part of Lumumba's economic platform, which he and the Malcolm X grassroots movement called the Jackson Plan. So listen to this. In a section titled Building a Local Solidarity Economy, Lumumba and his campaign wrote the following. The critical third pillar of the Jackson Plan is the long-term commitment to build local solidarity economies that link with the regional and national solidarity economy networks to advance the struggle for economic democracy. Solidarity economy as a concept, describes a process of promoting cooperative economics that promotes social solidarity, mutual aid, uh, reciprocity, and generosity. It also describes the horizontal and autonomously driven networking of a range of cooperative institutions that support and promote the aforementioned values, ranging from worker cooperatives to informal affinity-based neighborhood bartering networks. Our conception of solidarity economy is based on the Mondragon Federation of Cooperative Enterprises, based in the Basque region of Spain, but also draws from the best practices and experiences of the solidarity economy and other economic initiatives already in motion in Latin America and the United States. We are working to make these practices and experiences relevant in Jackson and to make greater links with existing cooperative institutions in the state and in the region that help broaden their reach and impact the local and regional economy. In building along these lines, we aim to transform the economy of Jackson and the region as a whole to generate the resources needed to advance this admittedly ambitious plan. So what follows right now is what I'm going to call a Chokwe Lamamba mixtape. This is a series of excerpts of speeches and presentations Lamamba gave leading up to and after his election as mayor. Here was an activist and a politician fighting to create a cooperative economy in the Deep South a voice to cherish in our political moment. Sadly, Lumumba died in 2014 after only serving as mayor for seven months. The circumstances around his death are still not entirely settled. 
But in any case, his ideas and his political work stay with us as a guide to the future.
that Martin Luther King was radical, right? So being radical, we have to understand that one of the things that happens is that whenever you're for change, that causes controversy. And when you get involved in controversy, then that's what they call radical, right? So we don't step back from controversy. We don't step back from change. This is our time. This is a very important time. The Black Workers for Justice symbolizes the struggle which now is taking place in the South. We have, as African people in America, been oppressed for a very long time. We have been oppressed as have our native brothers and sisters, as have our Mekano brothers and sisters, as have our Puerto Rican brothers and sisters, as have poor whites for a long period of time. Right? We've been oppressed because we live in a situation where the power is not right. We need an adjustment. You know, when they sometimes you go to the doctor and they say you need an adjustment. We need an adjustment, that's what we need. And we need an adjustment not only in one place in the world, we need an adjustment all over the world. sisters of the Native American movement use it in, okay? One is, is that you understand that all of these struggles around the world, whether it be in Azania, whether it be here, be wherever, are struggles uh, involving the control of a territorial jurisdiction. And if you don't control the territorial jurisdiction, then you don't control yourself. If you can't look at the map and define your struggle, then you have no struggle, right? Struggles which are just in your head or in your clothes or in your closet or in your song are not complete struggles. In order to be complete, you got to bring it right down to earth, if you understand what I say. But the second thing is, is that the Native American has taught us, and if we look back in our history, is that no person owns the land, right? No, 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 no human being owns the land. And so when you got a group of greedy, low-down human beings who call themselves owning the land, 
that you've got the free to land in order to go through and be consistent with God's creation, right? Okay. Mississippi is grieving today following the sudden death of Mayor Chokwe Lumumba, less than a year after he was elected. He suffered from heart failure Tuesday. He was 66 years old. A longtime black nationalist organizer and attorney, Lumumba had been described as America's most revolutionary mayor. Working with the Malcolm X grassroots movement, Lumumba advocated for participatory democracy and the creation of new worker-run cooperatives in Jackson. Over the past four decades, Lumumba was deeply involved in numerous political and legal campaigns. As an attorney, his clients have included former Black Panther Asada Shakur, as well as her godson, the late hip-hop artist Tupac Shakur. As a political organizer, Lumumba served for years as vice president of the Republic of New Africa. Thank you. 
they are good things. And the way that the public sector financing can intersect so-called private sector financing is that the public sector financing has to be controlled by those who are in political power in order to initiate or provoke movement in the private sector. In other words, invest money into some of these things, which will help the larger number of people rather than the smaller number of people. And help some of the people on the bottom so we can live for And anything else you got Thanks, Liz, and thanks to the whole Commons Place team, especially Alex Breeden, Shelley Ronan, Meredith Tijansky, and Anna Martina Rivas. I'm Dave Backer, and remember, everyone, another world is actual. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.